Welcome into the post-signing day edition of the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer alongside Brunts. He is uh, excited as always to... Yep. Happy to be here. ...to just discuss Let's recruiting break it down. And, and the signees and jump into 2018. And they're right. already on a 16-day drought, and so it might be time to panic. We're already hitting that button, huh? Yeah, I mean, might as well. It's yeah, there. It's, it's red. It's big. Smashing it. Smashing the button. I'm wondering, are the coaches, do they even have a plan? <laughs> Is there a plan in place for 2018? Our Pets' heads are already off. Eh, Slider's head is still on the last time I saw. It is. So, All right, well, uh, we will. We don't really have a format. We never have a format no. for what we're going to do. No, let's not. Let's not uh, we're we're going to spend most of today's show not discussing Nebraska basketball because we don't really feel like they showed up yesterday and they don't really deserve much of our attention at the moment. Okay. So we're going to spend the majority of it on Nebraska's signing day. Uh, won't run through every name, though I guess we could if we wanted to, but we won't. Uh, we'll run through kind of the news that came out of Wednesday. Not a big surprise if you listen to our preview podcast that, that came out on Monday. Uh, I think that we we nailed every one of our predictions, uh, which is a tribute to our success as investigative reporters and our ability to dig deep inside of, of where these recruits are going and also our ability to have pretty well-sourced people. Yeah, it's uh, apparently the Woodward and Bernstein of uh, decisions is what we got here. Which one are you? I don't know. I, I'll let you pick first. In in the Woodward and Bernstein draft, you have the first pick. And you like can't I'm, trade down. I feel like you're Woodward. Because his name comes first and it's normally like Brunson Schaefer. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We really need to start having a format for this, I feel like. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the free-flowing conversations that we have are what the people want to listen to. So, okay. uh, we'll just jump right into it. Biggest decision of the three that Nebraska ended up with on Wednesday. Technically four. Uh, because you could you could count Jordan Pop if you really wanted to. Yeah, that was actually a sneaky big decision uh, yeah. for Nebraska. Do you want to start there? Yeah, why not? Uh I feel like, you know, Nebraska did a really nice job in this walk-on class of identifying guys that they wanted early on. I, I think they figured out pretty quickly, the staff, once they got here, that they needed to target guys early because you got South Dakota State that's cleaning up on a lot of those guys that used to be walk-on. South Dakota State, or excuse me, South Dakota is starting to figure out that they need to uh, get in Nebraska as well. Uh, and Jordan Pop had that walk-on offer for a long time. Uh, I think he's an ideal fit as an outside linebacker in a 3-4. Uh, and getting him to turn down money uh, at, South, at South Dakota State was huge. I mean, it, and a number of those guys. I mean, Lingenfelter, the, the defensive lineman, he had offers from Tulane, Liberty, and a couple other places. Uh, same with uh, Hunter Miller, uh, the offensive lineman, turned down money at Northern Colorado. Um I think Cole Fromm's going to be a really intriguing kicker just with the leg strength that he has. So, uh, you know, Jordan Pop deciding to, to come to Nebraska and walk on was huge, I think, and a pretty nice capper that day. Yeah, I um, had a chance to talk with uh, some coaches and, and certainly uh, one coach in particular that was basically recruiting Jordan Pop, and they're disappointed they didn't get him. Uh, so I, I think Nebraska should be pretty excited about that addition. Uh, I, I think you're right. They they put a lot more emphasis in this walk-on class. I think it's a credit to Kenny Wilhite and kind of the job that he's done since taking over that position in February of last year. I think Nebraska realized that they couldn't just throw out a few walk-on emails the last week of the of the recruiting cycle and get any sort of interest from people. So, uh, you know, good on Nebraska, certainly with Jordan Pop. We'll transition over to a couple of the other decisions. The first one on Wednesday came, it was supposed to come at 6 in the morning. <laughs> Didn't actually happen until about 8.48 Central Standard Time. Guy Thomas reaffirmed his decision to stay with Nebraska. Uh, there was some uh, white-knuckle moments, I would imagine, for everybody involved with that. A couple of late crystal ball picks that I thought were sort of interesting, considering that Guy Thomas didn't end up going to Louisville. Uh, we don't have Mike Hughes on the show, so we can't ask him about that. But um, were you surprised, I guess, at that point? Uh, 
you have to kind of take with a caveat that pretty much everything about Guy Thomas's recruitment really hasn't gone to gone to plan. I mean, what I, do you mean? He I, committed I, in August and he stayed with the team the whole time. I, I think I think you with Guy Thomas. I mean, it, it's yeah, there were probably some white knuckled moments, but you know, I, I really got the impression that he wasn't going anywhere. Like that was the thing. Like he committed because of his relationship with John Perella, having never seen Nebraska. Didn't see Nebraska until January. Uh, it just beautiful time to see Nebraska. Yeah, by the way, it just felt like that. Even though you know there was this pit momentum supposedly in Louisville late, really late in the process. Like it just felt like he was going to end up back at Nebraska. I mean, that's what we both said in our predictions: is that it just the default just made sense. So. But then 6 o'clock turned into 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock turned into 8 o'clock, crystal balls came in. Yeah. And, it, it, and then you had reports on on uh, Tuesday night that he wasn't even considering Nebraska Which among was the three. Funny, it, neither of us bought that at no. all. It, it, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was big for Nebraska, and especially with the 3-4 defense now. I think he fits that a lot better than he does with the 4-3. I think he gets on the field earlier oh, yeah. now based on that change. I thought he wasn't a very good fit when Nebraska's a 4-3 defense to the point where I didn't really consider him to be all that important in the class. And then once they switched to the 3-4, he vaulted up my board a little bit because yeah. his athleticism is, is really good. He's got great length, great height. He's got a good frame, and, and if he can play in coverage, I think he could be a pretty special player. I mean, if John Perrell is able to kind of unleash that potential and he's able to get into the, the weight room and, and work with the strength and conditioning staff. Another player that, you know, big part of a potential 3-4 switch, one of my favorites in the class. I think he was in your Super 6 as well. Yep. And uh, that was uh, Damian Daniels. Yeah, he uh... – and, and, I mean, let's talk for a minute about Damian Daniels' decision. I don't know what's going on in your basement right now, but it sounds like your dogs are murdering each other. Uh, Damian Daniels I mean, shows up. He's got the personalized Nebraska shirt with the cuffs, the handkerchief, the Hushers hat, which I, I really appreciated. Not Huskers, but Hushers is what it looked like. I think it's a K. Uh, gave a really heartfelt speech and, and uh, committed to Nebraska. And and the funny thing is, is and you can vouch for this, in the, in the couple days leading up to signing day, it wasn't Colorado that was making a late push there. It was Texas-San Antonio, which was kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, you don't want to say it was like an even heat at that point, but they were definitely giving the family something to think about. Yeah, I think the number we were told was a 55-45 split, which is a little bit closer than what you'd probably want on two days before signing day uh, as it relates to a guy that had been a primary target for John Perella for some time. Uh, And then certainly... I would. I don't want to say I'd like to see it, but those of us that I mean, if you're listening to the show, you probably spent time on our message board. I think you can imagine what that thread would have looked like if Damian Daniels had finished his speech and then said "beep beep" and then threw on a uh, a Roadrunner's hat. No, it, w- it would have essentially been the Army All American game all over again. Is what it would have looked like. Yeah, it would have been fascinating to yeah. say to say the very least but it didn't go that route nebraska ends up with their nose tackle of the future again damian daniels a guy i think is really really good i pushed you know and, and you did as well for him to to possibly be re-rated based off the senior film he had eight sacks as a as a senior he's a big part of that bishop dunn defense uh you know played up through the middle he's a lot quicker than what you would think a guy of his size would be um you know he's listed again at six two three ten i think Quite a bit bigger than that, yeah. personally. Would put him more likely in the 325 range. He may even be an inch taller than 6'2", yeah. as well. So, uh, a guy that certainly has a chance to, to have a very big role in the middle of Nebraska's defense. And Elijah Blades was the uh, the last one to, to go Nebraska's way on, on signing day. Uh, you know, 24-7 sports had him as a number 48 overall recruit in the class. Um, the, the thing we kept hearing about... Elijah Blades was just tr- tremendous upside. Like the kid's 6'2", 175, uh, really athletic. And, and you know, you, you hear it a lot this time of year that guy hasn't played his best football. Best football is ahead of him. But, I mean, that that's really the case with Elijah Blades. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see on his film, I mean, he's a dynamic, explosive player. And he's got 
I mean, if he ends up with an interception, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch because he's willing to run 15 yards backwards to try to turn up field, which I think will drive a lot of people nuts. Yeah. But he did it at least four times on his highlights in the first four <laughs> minutes. And the guy is a very physical player. I mean, you look at him and he's tall. And you, I'm predisposed to normally thinking guys that are tall like that generally aren't much of hitters. But a lot of his early part of his film is him playing safety for, for John Muir there in Pasadena. And hitting guys over the middle, hitting running backs coming out of the flats, blindsided a quarterback at the very first highlight of his uh, that led to an interception. And so he he can play physical. I don't think there's a question about that. I think for him, and I feel this way about all corners. I think it you take every position on the football field and you try to figure out what's the hardest to transition from high school to college. I would put cornerback up against everything that isn't basically quarterback at this point. Because there's so much difference in the speed and the technical ability of the players for switching from the high school level to the college level. But he's going to get an opportunity. Dante Williams is going to try to make sure that he's ready to go. I don't think he's going to redshirt. I don't think he's going to start from day one. But he's someone that has the opportunity that maybe in November of next year could have carved out a role as a freshman. Yeah, the, the way that secondary shakes out this coming year is going to be really, really interesting because you've got so much depth there. And that's what the reason why I wasn't I wasn't disappointed in the fact that Nebraska only took one defensive back in this class. I mean, I, I don't... We only s- ever slotted them to take two. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, with, with, with Dante Williams having a full year to really recruit um, going into 2018, I think that's when you're going to see what he's capable of doing. And I, I think that's kind of what Nebraska decided ultimately at the end was, you know, look, we've got, they knew they had blades in the class. He committed on his official visit. Um, I, I think they just kind of said, look, we're going to shut it down here. We're going to really go all in on 18 where you've got Williams already has connections. You've got a great class in Kansas city and in, in St. Louis in, in 18. So I think that was ultimately what they decided. But I mean, you've got, Lamar Jackson, you got Elijah Blades, you got Chris Jones, who's going to be a three-year starter. Joshua Kalu's there. You got Aaron Williams as a nickel potentially. Uh, Antonio Reed, you've got to put him somewhere. You've got Kyron Williams. Uh, you just go down the line. You got Eric Lee and Avery Anderson as two former four stars that haven't. Jojo Doman, Markel Dispute, right. DiCaprio Boodle. Right. It is absolutely loaded with guys. And we don't know how it's going to end up. We don't know if all of them are going to reach their potential, if any of them are going to reach their potential. But there's no shortage of players back there. There's no shortage of interesting players that are going to be back uh, as part of Nebraska's secondary. So yeah. I I am you know really intrigued to see how all the pieces fit. I'm really intrigued for the spring to see which guys are slotted where. Um, I don't know if it's a given that Lamar Jackson's staying at corner. Yeah. I just don't. Well, you got Dismuke probably moving, I would imagine. I think you only move one of those two. We, I didn't even mention Tony Butler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's the guy that you look at him. He's probably one of the more physical, impress, physically impressive guys. As a at bowl practice, I was just like, damn. He wasn't yeah. even practicing. I mean, he was with the, the rest of the, the MASH unit. But, I yeah. mean, he is he's pretty well put together. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that kind of wrapped up the... I guess the the signing day decisions. I mean, Damondor Lenore was going to. Oh, was, we didn't wrap up all of the signing day decisions. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Jameer Calvin? We're here. Well, we might as well spend a minute on it. Okay, a minute go. So you, I mean, I was asleep probably by the time this happened on uh, Wednesday afternoon. But Mike Riley had a chance to talk about the Jameer Calvin recruitment, and what were your takeaways from Mike Riley's comments? Well, I mean, Calvin committed three times to Nebraska, um, and, and it, it, it was funny because Mike Riley almost described it as like a relationship, essentially. Like, you get burned so many times, at what point do you just say enough is enough and move on? And the way I kind of think of it is, you know, he commits to Oregon State on national television, immediately talks to Nebraska and says, my recruitment isn't over, essentially said, I've made a mistake, um, you know, arrested development style. And I've made a big mistake. <laughs> I made a big mistake. Uh, at, at that point, you've been recruiting him for eight, nine months. You've brought him out for an official visit. The kids come for an unofficial visit. Uh, Nebraska kind of played it a little bit slow, I think, initially. Gets the commitment, even though, 
you know, Mike Riley's in the air flying back to Lincoln at that point when he finds out that Calvin's committed to Nebraska, uh, at least publicly. And then things shift again. Like, I understand people saying, oh, just drop him. He's not worth it. I mean, we, we saw him in Army All-American practice. Like, he's slight. He's 150 pounds, but people couldn't cover him. Um, I, I think you kind of continue to pursue it as long as you feel like the the interest, at least on Calvin's part, is genuine. Am I, I mean, am I wrong there? No, I don't think you're wrong. I, I definitely think that uh, – I, I mean, I watched him in, in a couple different practice settings, and I think he's – going to be a solid player for Washington State. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he has a nice career for Washington State. I think uh, to, to kind of go a little bit deeper into the Jameer Calvin recruitment, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but there was some real concerns from the staff, like immediately after the whole Oregon State thing that he was reaching out, and they didn't even know if they wanted to stay involved at that point because they didn't know how those final few weeks were going to turn out. And at that point, it's a matter of how much effort are you putting in. And and I don't even know if Nebraska went in home with Jameer Calvin again in January. They stopped by the school twice. But it was never intimated to me. And I know the first time Keith Williams didn't go in home. I don't know if they actually went back to his house at any point in January. Right. So it, it becomes a, a matter of how you use your resources. And unfortunately for Nebraska, it's again another wide receiver flipping uh, right before signing day, you know, you had Desmond Fitzpatrick in 2015. You have Jameer Calvin now. Both times leave you short on numbers. Both of those guys, I think, are going to have nice careers and are good players. Um, and, and both of them, you could have argued there would be good use for them in, in Nebraska, too. It, it just makes it, you know, 2018, a small class. A third of that class, you could argue, or excuse me, a fifth of that class, you could argue, is going to end up being wide receivers. Yeah, and, and it, it'll be interesting, too. I, I think Nebraska, I mean, California is going to be huge for them going forward, but w- with the way that that 18 and 19 receiver class is in, the, in St. Louis and the way that Nebraska's already gotten those guys on campus, they've seen them in camp, started to build that relationship. I mean, Missouri's a tire fire right now uh, of a football program. I mean, it seems like the, the opportunity is there to get those guys a little bit closer to home because I think – you know, you got Keyshawn Johnson Jr., you got Tyjon Lindsay guys who are, you know, Lindsay's originally from California. I feel like that, that distance factor just makes it that much tougher to, to land those guys right at the end. But I, I, I'll be curious to see. And I, I think the 18 class is going to end up being a little bit bigger than maybe what we expect. Um, probably around, you know, 18 to 20, I could see um, just with attrition. But um, I'm setting the number at 17. Okay. Okay, that's. I mean, that's. We've been saying sixteen to eighteen, and, mm-hmm. and that's still with the plus three or whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't know the the Calvin thing. It, it uh, you almost just kind of are happy that it's just over. And I got that impression from Mike Riley too. Yeah, well, I think anybody that was following it towards the end of January was just tired of it because it it wasn't even to the point where like. I could call him, talk to him, and then understand what was going on because what he would tell me would be so different than his actions. And then it just, whatever. I don't want to spend a whole lot more time on it. We can we can move off of that. What you mentioned with St. Louis and, and Missouri is something that I do want to spend a little bit of time on. I wrote this today, and, and you sort of hit on it as well. I really hope Nebraska makes Kansas City a priority again. Uh, I, I hope that they make St. Louis a priority. It, it should be because it's a great talent area and maybe you only get one or two kids, but it's worth it. I think they need to spend less time out west. And, and particularly, they didn't spend a lot of time recruiting Hawaii. They only took one visit out there. But I would not ignore, but I wouldn't offer a lot of guys from Hawaii unless it's just like a no-doubter. And if he wants to take a visit, great. But... I really think they, they need to spend a lot more time in, in, in Missouri. I think Oklahoma is an area, again, maybe it's not going to be 2017 every year in Oklahoma, which is a heavily loaded state. Mm-hmm. About six guys that I think you would love to have from the state of Oklahoma in, in anybody's recruiting class around the country, to be entirely honest, because yep. there's so much talent there this year. Uh, I, I really think Nebraska can win more of those battles. I mean, maybe not Oklahoma because you have to go toe-to-toe with the Sooners and you're not going to win that a lot of times, but certainly in, in Missouri and, and I just feel like 
there's there's enough talent there that justifies it. I know that Mike Riley said they're going to spend more time in in the 500 mile radius, but I'm somewhat dubious if that's going to be true. Yeah, and it, it's you know last year there was the big storyline about Nebraska. You know, didn't really do much in Texas, and and I mean they got three pretty solid guys out of Texas, and I, I think I think the lesson that we can kind of take from this class. I think you can kind of spot recruit in areas as long as you do your homework with evaluation and offering early. Yeah, like they they went into Delaware and got a guy because they did exactly what you're saying. Yeah, you look at Avery Roberts, uh, Brendan Hymas was the same way where they got on him really early before the the local schools got there. Uh, Damian Daniels was the same way where they were among his first offers. They got him on campus super early over the summer. Watts was the same way. Who no one talks about, us included. Yeah, Uh, and it's... I think that Nebraska is getting to the point where they're, you know, maybe in the past, Nebraska was never among the first offer, but you're seeing it a lot more now where uh, Nebraska is the first or second offer and really getting a foot in the door because I, I, the coaching staff they have now, I feel like, it is set up well to recruit. They've got guys that are really good at building relationships with kids. John Perella, Dante Williams, Trent Bray, uh, who probably gets overlooked in that, that capacity. Keith Williams, well. Mike Cavanaugh. Keith Williams, yeah. Um, so I I think you can still go different places and kind of spot recruit that way, but I, I agree. I, I think you have to have more of a presence in Kansas City and in St. Louis. You just have to. Is this a fair statement? Nebraska's staff, since you've been covering recruiting, has never been as good as they are now in terms of evaluation. Because I think they're I think this class to me bears out that they evaluate guys as well as anybody. Because if you look at what John Perella I mean, those defensive ends and defensive linemen that he was offering in February, a lot of them ended up with either national teams or ended up with Nebraska with national offers. Yeah, no, they they are, and I, I think that part of that is organization too. I mean, what? And it goes past just the coaches. I mean, you're talking about they have guys that are working on the back end that do a nice job watching film first, getting it to the coaches. I mean, the organization of this staff we've talked about repeatedly, but I really think this recruiting class shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, just how deep and how extensive it's been and how helpful that is. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I'll be curious to see uh, in, in the next month or so kind of what they do with the recruiting office because you had Ryan Gunderson move on to San Jose State. Uh, you know, do they do they bring somebody in from outside? Do they promote from within? Do they expand the office? Do they have more support staff guys working in the recruiting office? Um, it's just nowadays in college football that that group – and, and having trust in that group is so important for a coaching staff to really get the ball rolling and really kind of keep keep things on track. Yeah, absolutely. Any, um, I don't want to say any other thoughts because we've certainly got more that we can discuss. Who, was there anybody on Wednesday that you would can categorize as a big miss for Nebraska? Um... Well, I, I think I, I wouldn't. I would say ideally, you'd like to have those guys. Yeah, I mean, you would love to have had any of those guys that, that went elsewhere. I, I think I think the Nebraska needed another wide receiver in this class. Um, I think that if you're looking at just pure athleticism and what guys bring to the field, the two guys that I think are big, the biggest misses from just a damn. You really want that guy in your program, Damanor Lenore. I think he was probably uh, you know from seeing him. Played seven on seven in the spring in California. Seeing him at Army All American practice, he's he's going to be a player, um, you know, barring injury and everything else. The, the guy is really versatile, really physical, uh, and, and you know, right up there with Darnay Holmes, I think, in terms of his ability as a, cor- a cornerback. Um, the other would be Drake Johnson because he was so versatile; you could put him anywhere. Uh, you know, I, I think Nebraska had a little. A, a tiny foot in the door with non, with Dante Williams, but you know it was going to be tough pulling him from USC, and and it's it's going to be interesting at Hawkins High School too to see how much success Nebraska has there. They've already got Eric Fuller for 2018, but there's so much so much talent in that school, and if USC, you know USC is going to get a lot of those guys, but if Nebraska can pull one or two guys out of that school, I feel I feel like you feel pretty good about that. Yeah, it almost feels like Nebraska has to position itself to hope that USC backslides a little bit this year. So there's like some sort of like backlash against, oh, Clay Helton can't get it done. USC isn't the place to go. But then the problem with that becomes UCLA gets elevated. Like it just 
that's the problem with recruiting Los Angeles is that if you want in on these elite guys, it, it makes it really tough to pull them away from those two schools because the pull to stay at home is so strong. And as good as everything looked with Joseph Lewis, and I even put in a crystal ball for Nebraska to get him in November because at that time, even his coaches had basically said, yeah, I mean, USC is still in the background, but it doesn't feel like they're making as big of a move for him as they normally would have. Uh, it, it looked like everything was in the all clear for Nebraska, and he was writing about it for the USA Today and his his blog diary and, and everything else. And then it just sort of clicked, and they had their, their gigantic finish. And like I said at the Army All-American Bowl, when I switched my prediction, uh, just talking to him that day, there was no way. Yep. That kid was going to go anywhere but USC with the way that he talked about watching the Rose Bowl with Stephen Carr and and the other USC commit. Yeah, and it, there's just, for a kid to, to basically go against his buddies who were all going to USC, like it just wasn't, like you said, I mean, it, you could even just tell, like you didn't even need to talk to him. You could tell the way he was interacting with guys, like he's going to USC. Yeah, well, and uh, unfortunately... Uh, for Nebraska, they had, what, seven, eight guys that were at the Army All-American Bowl. They ended up with one. I realized that I had texted you earlier in the week and said they didn't get anybody, but Ty John Lindsay didn't play, yep. but he was a U.S. Army All-American. And uh, they ended up with one, and it wasn't the one that we were covering all week. <laughs> no, no, it's funny how that works out. Um, but, you know, I kind of looking at this class, I mean, everybody wants to kind of say, okay, where does this guy fit? Where does he, you know, who, who plays right away next year? Like, Ben Miles. Where? Fullback? H-back? Somewhere. They get him on the field. He's he's solid enough as a player, and I don't, like, I like Luke McNitt. I think Ben Miles is better. Yeah. Um, I think he fits better with what Nebraska can do. I mean, because even just as simple as I could see scenarios where if you're in a four-wide shotgun, he's your single back back there because he's going to be better in pass protection than some of your running backs. He might be a better receiver than some of your running backs. And people might out and out forget about him. And, and you leak him out out of the backfield and you have a nice play that way. I mean, I like Ben Miles quite a bit. He's someone that I, I think could play early in his career. Tyjon Lindsey uh, it's going to play early in his career. Elijah Blades I don't think will redshirt. And then you look at those defensive linemen and, and Avery Roberts, somebody else. I mean, the wide receivers, assuming McQuitty's healthy. Do you think all three of those guys play? I think all three of them play if McQuitty's healthy. Yep. Because, I, I mean, they just the numbers, they're going to have to. Yep. Because you have those three. You have Stanley Morgan, DeMornay Pearsonell, J.D. Spielman. Uh, Keon Williams. Keon Williams. Brian Reimers. Gabe Ron. Yeah, I mean, and, and especially if you have the a, a run of injuries like Nebraska had in fall camp two years ago, I mean, you're going to be burning through that depth pretty quick. Yeah, they're they're in somewhat of a precarious situation in my mind at wide receiver because one, I don't know if Tyjon Lindsey how quickly. I mean, we're talking about a meniscus injury, and it's not one that's as serious as like an ACL, but. I worry about receivers that are that size being able to play full seasons. I mean, DeMorne Pearsonell had a, an ankle injury, then the flukest knee injury of all time. Um, you know, he, he wasn't hurt last year, but he never felt like he was 100%. Um, J.D. Spielman's roughly similar to that size as well. I mean, th- that's a real concern. I mean, you can't necessarily give those guys a bunch of touches and, and see them get beat up every week. The the guy that I'm kind of curious the defensive tackle spot is interesting to me because I, I think I think it feels to me like DeAndre Thomas is going to have kind of a, a Malik Collins like freshman year where I feel and I'll just say this so that way it's out there for public record so I can be humiliated or whatever or I feel could, like DeAndre Thomas is going to be better than Malik Collins yeah. I liked his film more I like I mean he's bigger he's physically bigger. Than Malik Collins and Malik Collins came in as a very well put together eighteen year old, but and I knew where you were going with that. I mean, were you surprised that we were the only two that had DeAndre Thomas at number one? I think he gets forgotten about. I mean, he didn't really have any signing day drama. There was, you know, a, a few, a little bit of late interest, but from a lot of good schools. Yeah, and 
I mean, it, I feel like it's one of those things where if you just watch his film, you, you can tell, like, there's something there. Like, he's got that it. And, well, he has a motor, too. Yeah, I mean, and I just feel like he's a guy that is probably overlooked in the class. I was I was glad to see that we bumped him up after the senior film because he definitely deserved it. Um, and, you know, I think he's going to have a pretty... I, I think he's going to be a, end up being a defensive end. Yeah, the 3-4-D end. Um, Which is really, to me, a, a, a defensive tackle right. of what you're supposed to do gap assignment-wise. And, and, I, and I feel like, too, Nebraska, I think it's still going to mix some four-man front end, too. So his versatility also gives them some options there as well. I think Damian Daniels is going to have to play early. I mean, even Deontay Watts, I, I feel like I feel like all three of those guys, if they can... You know they have the the strength to do it, and it's tough to do as a, a freshman uh, tackle. I mean, if if they get the if they get the opportunity, I, I feel like you know they, they're going to need to play. Yeah, absolutely. Let me throw a name at you and uh, get your thoughts on him. Kurt Raftall. Is that a guy that you think could play as a freshman? Uh, I would say yes. I and I the reason is is you know. When they were going through the recruiting process in the summer, I, I thought, you know, I like I liked Reese Leto a little bit more than Raftall. Um, seeing Raftall's senior film, he's a lot more physical than I yeah than the, I thought. The same exact thought. Uh, I don't know what it was before when they started re-recruiting him. I just thought that he was a split-out guy that at six foot seven they utilized his size yeah. a lot, and then he commits, and I rewatched his film, and I'm like. You couldn't have been more wrong on this. Right. Not you, me. I couldn't have been more wrong on yeah. this guy. And I, I think he's he's lanky. Like he's he's a lanky two thirty five. Uh, I could see him pretty easily adding twenty pounds or something like that once he gets to campus and playing quickly. Maybe he can become workout buddies with Matt Snyder. <laughs> Maybe the uh, the guy's an animal allegedly, according to everyone. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and with. The way the tight end spot is now, I mean, you, you don't have anybody coming back with a catch. So, I, in my mind... It's it, like Tim Beck's dream. Yeah. <laughs> it's, finally, it's my work here is done. No fullbacks with a catch. <laughs> no uh, no tight ends with a catch. I mean, Tim Beck couldn't have been more thrilled with the way things would have yeah. went with the way the roster's put together. Yeah. I, I But I, I think because they don't have anybody's, you know, markered in as the guy at tight end... I feel like there's an opportunity for a Raftall to get in there and play quickly. I mean, I feel like Austin Allen's probably headed towards a redshirt year just because he needs to add size. Uh, but, you know, Raftall, Matt Snyder, Engelhobbs, um, Stoll. Stoll, I mean, those are your, your four guys. Plus your you got, 2017 starter, Tyler Hoppus. you got Hoppus in there as well. I mean, I, I, I mean, maybe you even kind of do something creative as an H-back with Ben Miles. Um, but I, I feel like... Did you see in Raftall's film they used him as an H back? Yeah, a six foot seven H back. Yeah, I mean we didn't even talk about this beforehand, before at any point our, our thoughts on Raftall. But I mean, if you go back and watch his senior year of film, it's uh, definitely you know a, a guy that I could see under the right circumstances playing quickly. Yeah, I I put it on the board today. I almost put him over Elijah Blades in my Super Six because I was so impressed by his senior film. Uh, I think Nebraska, I. I think Reese Leto was a really good commitment. And I, I think that they would have probably, if you get him to actually answer it, maybe preferred him over Raftal. But it, it, the way that it ended up, they can't be upset. I kind of wonder, too, if Leto would have made more sense as like a 3-4 outside linebacker. I think you mentioned that when he committed, too. Yeah, like he, there were some schools that were recruiting him as a defensive end. And I could see, I could see both ways on that. But, you know, he's a Texas... He's, you know, in Tim Beck's very capable hands now. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think Raftall's got a shot. Is there anybody else that that you feel like, you know, maybe is underappreciated or, or a little bit flying under the radar? I, I feel like those linebackers that aren't Avery Roberts are kind of that way. Yeah, I don't spend a whole lot of time talking about Willie Hampton or, or Andrew Ward a whole lot. Willie Hampton, just because I don't know how he fits in the in the 3-4, I don't know. Um, I assume he's an outside linebacker because he'd be a little bit small to put as an inside linebacker with the size that, you know, Diaco and, and running that Al Girl style 3-4. And then Andrew Ward, I just sort of 
forget like a lot. Um, and it's not like his film is fine. I mean, he's a solid player. He's definitely worth the scholarship, or at least worth taking the chance to see where he's going to be as a player. I just I don't have like a collective whole lot of thoughts on him. Um, another he I actually think makes sense as an inside linebacker a little bit, but he probably ends up as an outside. I mean, a lot of it is I just need to see what Nebraska is going to look like with their linebackers before yeah. I can really line these guys up yeah. because it's not as visually easy as the way it is with the defensive line. Right. Because like you know where Damian Daniels fits. You have a pretty good idea where DeAndre Watts fits. You have a guess where Deontay, or excuse me, DeAndre Thomas and Deontay Watts fit. I mean, it's it's just harder with Hampton and, and Ward to me. And, and Roberts to some extent too because to me Roberts is a really good 4-3 outside linebacker. I don't know if he's a guy that I want coming off the edge in a 3-4, if you use him as your coverage guy on the other side in a 3-4. I, I need to learn more about the 3-4 and how Nebraska's doing it to, to put where these linebackers go. Yeah, I think Roberts is a an inside linebacker through and through, regardless of, of position, or, yeah. or regardless of 3-4 uh, or 4-3. Really? Th- I think, yeah. I think he's just got... He he's got that uh, you know when Notre when Notre Dame's defense was really good under Diaco it was Manti Te'o they were so strong up the middle and I, I think that's that that's kind of where you need your your best guys and I think that he's gonna have to get bigger he will he will. And, and that's part of why he came here I think early is is to get into that weight room yeah and and there's gonna be an adjustment period for him in terms of uh, you know competition level uh, there's not a <laughs> Not a whole lot of uh, top flight talent in Delaware, but his film's fun though. Yeah, my I mean, God, he hits people so hard. <laughs> I feel bad for those kids he played against. There was one running back. It was the same guy, and it was a different highlight each time. He fumbled the ball both times. Roberts just like hit him yeah. four yards into the backfield. Like just gets a handoff, takes a step, and then just gets plowed. Roberts doesn't go to the ground either time. He's like big hits him, and then he's just sort of standing over him while his teammates pick up the ball. Better, better linebacker highlights. Avery Roberts or Marcus Newby? Marcus Newby had some pretty great highlights. <laughs> You're probably making a bunch of people sad because, unfortunately, Marcus Newby hasn't quite lived up to those those highlights yet. And and people like you and I were hyping him up during the the fall when he looked, I thought, really good, as good as Marcus Newby ever had. Yep. And then he kind of slowly faded away during the season. Yeah, but, man, those highlights, it was like murder ball. Oh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, you got to watch out for those uh, East Coastal players. I mean... They must do something to their highlights. Yeah. Um, anything, you're going to say something. Yeah, I was. Um, I have one question, and I, I'm actually going to throw this on the board after the podcast, and we'll see how people respond to it. What position stands out to you for the 2018 classes where Nebraska has to get a difference maker? I still think... I still think Nebraska needs to have a very dominant edge rusher. Whether I wondered that, if that's what it was. Whether that's uh, an outside linebacker or whether that's some kind of elite uh, defensive defensive end, you got to have some guy that on third down can get to the quarterback and just wreak havoc. And Nebraska hasn't. I mean, they had Randy Gregory. They, you, you go back farther. I mean, to, to really have an elite guy, I mean, I think you're almost going back as far as Demario Williams as a guy that's just that disruptive and on the edge. On the edge. Um, I, I think that's what Nebraska needs. Um, I, I think, like I said, I, I don't know if that's an alignment or if that's a linebacker, but you need somebody who can make a play for you on third down because I mean, so much of the last two years we've talked about. You know, blitzes aren't getting home, all this other stuff. I mean, do, do you have a guy that in your base defense can just go and make a play? That's that's what I think Nebraska needs to have. Do they have that guy on their on their defense right now? I don't think so. They probably don't. The closest from this previous class, and maybe even just in general, DeAndre Thomas could be that guy in their defense. Because I, I don't think if you look at what Bob Diaco's 3-4 they haven't had a whole lot of outside guys that have just put up monster numbers. Right. A lot of it's been their 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 ends, their nose tackle because he's had very good nose tackles throughout his his time with the the three four defense, and then the those inside linebackers. So it's it's interesting because his three four statistical production is so different than what you've seen from 
others where you have those edge rushers that, you know, the, the funny thing about Jordan Pop to me is if he were to become pretty good, I could see people making like this Clay Matthews comparison it's because the hair. of the hair. It's the hair. I'm already infuriated by it. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's fascinating you bring that up because I, I'm curious if that trend would continue with Diaco's defense or if Nebraska puts more of an emphasis to get those outside guys. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think that's probably the most glaring thing to me. I mean, you go through where the roster's at now. I, I really like these last two classes of offensive line recruits. I think it's going to be you're gonna you've got guys you can build around. I think they're gonna have 17 scholarship offensive linemen next year, which that's a lot. But um, need more linemen. Need more linemen. Uh, I'll be curious also to see. I mean, you, you need to to continue to to get wide receiver depth. I think that's gonna be a big thing for this class in 18. Um, what direction does Nebraska go at quarterback with 18? would be interesting as well. I, well, they've got a number one guy. Right. It's whether they can get him or not. Who do you think it is? It's Colson Yankoff. I yeah. Mean, that's, that's who they want. Yeah. Um, which would be fascinating if they're able to bring him in. Yeah. Because he's a dual threat guy. He is. And and it's interesting that a lot of the guys that Nebraska is, you know, looking at looking at pretty closely in the in 18 would be considered more dual threat guys, I think. Um, Tanner McKee, maybe not, but... I mean, you look at Yankoff and the way he played. I mean, Oregon, he was an Oregon commit for a while. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> when was the last time Nebraska got a commit from a, a kid in Idaho? And, and Coeur d'Alene is, like, way up there. So, um, I don't know. But, I mean, he... Idaho, Delaware. Yeah. They're going all over. Danny Langsdorf was up there a lot. Uh, Three or four times, I think, is what I have it down as recorded. Yeah. So... That, that'll be interesting in 18. Um, and, and just, you know, kind of what the size of the class ends up looking like. Because, like you said, I mean, 16 to 18 is probably on the high end right now, depending on attrition. Um, but and they've already got three right. committed, and three that I would argue that are pretty good commits. I mean, I think Masri May Pugh is a guy that's probably going to get re rated by 24 7 sports if he has a good senior year. Yep. Because, I mean, when he committed, he's relative unknown and, and pretty raw. Yep. And he didn't really have time to get offers and kind of build things up either. But when you look at guys that Nebraska you, you would feel is trending well for in 18, who would that be? You've got Will Farniok, who I, I think Nebraska is, is probably in the driver's seat for right now. Uh, I think, obviously, Tyjon Lindsay being on campus – We'll, we'll definitely help them with Brendan Radley-Hiles. Your boy. Yeah. Uh, Everybody's boy. Yeah. I don't know anyone who doesn't like him. Yeah. I do, too. I I always joke about you, but, I mean, I when I've talked to him, I mean, he's one of the nicest guys that uh, I've come across in recruiting. We'll spend as much time as you want uh, in terms of talking. Just a, an all-around great guy. Yeah. And, and you you look at him, he's probably 5'10". Um doesn't really strike you as you know physically impressive as in the way that a uh, you know like an Elijah Blades or a Lamar Jackson would, but good God, like when he gets in press coverage, it's he's like driving guys into the bench uh, and, and just freakishly athletic. I, I think those are two guys that that I would feel pretty good about for Nebraska. And I, th- I think I've had Riley Hiles crystal ball to Nebraska since last spring, so. Looking forward to cashing in on those points if that happens. <laughs> so, when I watched Calabasas play, um, and you actually sent this to me in, in in GIF form a few days ago with the guy who teed up Siobhan Shields and said, boom. Yeah. And, like, you could just tell that he was waiting to do that. Uh-huh. There was an official during the Calabasas game that every time Radley Hiles was involved in anything, you'd see him he's just running over there. <laughs> like, he's got his hand ready to go to throw that flag. Because uh, he's just a physical guy. I mean, he was hitting guys all the time through and after the whistle. Uh, just very physical. Even when he was a ball carrier. I mean, uh, he's definitely got a confidence to him yep. that I think would be infectious. Uh, and it certainly doesn't hurt to have guys like Tristan and, and Tyjon, Keyshawn, uh, Markel, I'm sure he knows. Um, and, and Nebraska's going to go after some of those other guys. I mean, IMG could sort of be the new Calabasas for Nebraska because of their interest in Brian Hightower because of their interest in T.J. Pledger. 
Um, believe they offered a uh, a defensive tackle that was at IMG just two days ago mm-hmm. on on signing day. I can't think of his name. I can pull it up here if I was better at my job. But um, well, Josh it, Walker, yeah. I got there. there I got go. there. You got there. I mean, even a guy like you know it, it, within the radius, Mario Goodrich, who from everything we've heard really from people like in Kansas City, uh, is just a freak athlete. Nebraska offered as a essentially a special teams player and a defensive back. Hey. How bad do you want Nebraska to get Trevor Trout so you can design a Nebraska Trout hat? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, seeing the excitement on the faces of people at Anaheim Angels games wearing Trout hats, I could see where it would be infectious uh, in Lincoln. That I mean, but that's another guy in, uh, in St. Louis that Nebraska, they've had him on campus already. Uh, Ohio State and everybody under the Suns offered him as well. 6'4", 295, Trevor Trout. Yeah, and, and a guy that <laughs> told me the other day that he's still hearing quite a bit from Nebraska, expects to be back sometime this spring. Yeah, and, and you know Cameron Babb and, and a number of those guys. That... I really like Cameron Babb. Yeah. So they, they, The 2018, I mean, part of it is because they've been out in front on so many of these guys. I feel like you and I could sit here and rattle off 25 kids that are of interest for that class already. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that you know goes back to, to evaluating and offering early. And, and some of those guys were on, on campus uh, for camps. They were in for uh, Big Red Weekends, Friday Night Lights. Uh, you know, I, I think they've done a pretty nice job of being aggressive and, and really kind of sowing the seeds, I guess, for 18. All right. Do you think we, we covered enough ground? I feel like this is a super long podcast. We are closing in on 47 minutes right now. Jeez, what a wrap-up to signing day. 48 yeah. minutes of us talking, and or excuse me, 47 minutes. I, I can't imagine anyone having a better time than <laughs> listening to this podcast right now. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts? I mean, we, let's just go for 60 if we're... We're, we're going for the full hour. <laughs> All right, I, I like it. I like it. Uh I, here, here's the thing that's interesting to me too. I mean, we're less than a month away from the start of spring ball already. Like, it's just like bam, bam, bam with the schedule nowadays. Uh, do, do you want to, to maybe get into a, a, a spring? I, mean, I feel like we have three weeks leading up to that. I'm just trying to get us to 60. I, mean, I think we can keep talking about recruiting and get us okay. to 62. Okay. We'll throw one, thing that, thing. one thing that you mentioned to me, I was going to, but okay. you were already trying to push me into spring ball, Sorry. and I don't want to think about that Just right trying now. to, yeah. What do you got? You mentioned this to me, and, and it sort of goes against what I was talking about with IMG, but you mentioned maybe Nebraska being out of Florida. Yeah. I feel like IMG is different because it's an academy school that like guys from across the country go to. Right. Um, do you anticipate Nebraska to get a commitment from Florida that's a non-IMG? I don't know. And the reason I brought that up the other day was, you know, when you're, you know, Mike Riley said at his press conference that they were looking at areas of recruitment, position recruitment, and kind of how they were doing things. They had a meeting on Tuesday about this, you know. Nebraska got Guy Thomas out of Florida. They got they got uh, Willie Hampton out of Florida. Things have changed in Florida in this recruiting class where not only do you have the, the big dogs in Miami, Florida State, Florida, you got Charlie Strong now back at USF. You've got Scott Frost, who had uh, UCF's best recruiting class ever. 53rd. Uh, yeah. Um, you've got Lane Kiffin. At uh, Florida Atlantic, making sleepy-eyed recruiting videos, but I mean, he can still put it together. Um, it's tough. I mean, I, I think I think if you have, you know, IMG is completely separate because you know <laughs> Georgia made what seventeen offers down there in one day last year. I, I think like that just in the I fact believe the janitor got an offer, tried to commit, and then Kirby Smart told him no. Yeah. Um, and he's probably ended up at FAU or on signing day. <laughs> um, so I, I think I think Nebraska probably needs to rethink a little bit what they're doing in Florida. Um, I'll be curious to see with the signing or with the the satellite camp stuff where Nebraska chooses to go because I think that will be a little bit of a, a tip of the hand, so to speak, of what they're emphasizing. I I, I would imagine they're going to go somewhere in California. I would. I would think that if they're going to actually follow through on the 500-mile radius stuff, you'll see something in St. Louis. You'll see something in Kansas City. Uh, will we see another camp in Florida? I 
I don't know if it's worth the time there. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I I think you're right because um, I'm looking through this and I, I'm looking through their 2018 offers, and they have several in Florida that aren't IMG, uh, and it's just and they're guys that uh, Nebraska was early early offers on guys like James Head, Randy Charlton that are one six foot five, two hundred and five pound defensive end could probably transition pretty well as a uh, three four outside linebacker, but I, I think with Florida almost more than the than other states you have to be super early. Otherwise you're just gonna get right. lost in the mix. Like you either need to, to go all in on it or like Florida's just such a tough place to where you, you can't be offering kids down there, you know, in the, the second week of January and expecting to have results. And I know that some schools down there have done well that you wouldn't expect to. I mean Oregon State gets commitments out of Florida which is crazy to me, but, you know, they've got connections there on the staff. They find guys that are probably undervalued uh, early on, but I, I think that's where if you're Nebraska, you, you kind of have to identify guys really early on, kind of go all in on them, but I, I just can't, I, I don't see the payoff for, you know, going all in on Florida. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you. I mean, I, I hit on, I'd, I'd like to see him more, in Missouri, I'd like to see him more in Oklahoma. I certainly enjoyed seeing him back down in Dallas. I think Dallas is going to be an area that they will, I don't want to say spot recruit, but I think that they'll put some resources in, but it's not going to be a full-fledged uh, California thing uh, the way that they've done kind of in the past. Um, let's see, what else can we talk about with, with 2018? So let's jump to everybody's favorite subject, running back. Nebraska ended up with one in Jalen Bradley. They weren't able to get C.J. Verdell, who you and I both kind of looked at as maybe the guy that could swing things a little bit on Wednesday. And, and, and part of the reason they didn't end up with him is Oregon only took four running backs in their class. Um, <laughs> they dialed it back a little bit. Yeah, instead of taking 17. I know that a lot of people were surprised by it. But uh, do you do you feel like they have to go out and get two guys in the next class? Because they, they, they haven't taken two running backs in a class in a while, right? I mean, the last one was was Jordan Stevenson and and uh, two's up, and I can't think of Divino Zigbo's name. I just did there, but and that was hard to even say they took two in that class because they sort of just ended up with Jordan Stevenson through auspicious ways, and that didn't go well for anybody. And he's actually eligible to be recruited again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I it always makes me laugh because for some reason whenever recruits tweet offers from Nebraska, every probably tenth offer or fifteenth offer you'll see a picture of Jordan Stevenson in there. I don't know how he gets in there, but I don't think I've ever noticed that. Yeah, is it like what's he doing in the photo? Well, probably making a bad decision about whether to return a kick <laughs> he or not. Played in one game. <laughs> um, I, I think that. Uh, I think you have to look at maybe taking two. Um, I, I just don't know. Nebraska doesn't have a featured back on their roster right now. I, I think it's it's been a, a few years since they've really gone after that kind of guy. I mean, 2011, is that where we're at? With the, the last year? time they, they got a feature back? Yeah. I mean, because even Terrell Newby wasn't a guy that you were like, yeah, this is a 25 I think when they guy. they recruited Terrell Newby, they had hoped he'd be that guy. Yeah. Same with Adam Taylor. Um, you could argue maybe they thought that with Wilbon too, but I I think maybe you're onto something there. I, I think you have I think you have to get a higher end guy in this class, and I think you look at maybe two, just because you know if you have the numbers, you have the numbers, uh, but. Well, one of those two could be Avery Roberts' brother, Graham Roberts. Yeah. Who I, I mean, they basically, if the, the door is clear, I think they're going to end up with a commitment there. Uh, and then the other one would be TJ Pledger would make a lot of sense because of the relationships that they have on the team, and because these you could sell him on the fact that there's nobody in front of him that he couldn't arguably beat out. Yeah, and he actually was at Terrell Newby's old school before transferring to IMG. So. There's that connection as well. He's I, I talked to him at the satellite camp uh, out in Calabasas last year, and he said that he was actually new newbie pretty well. Yeah. So uh, another relationship there that could potentially help Nebraska. But I, I think you you probably look at two, right? Yeah. I 
they should have taken two this year. Should have taken two last year. I'm always for taking running backs because running backs get hurt. They don't pan out. They transfer. I mean, I, you have to sort of plan on that happening. So to only take one and for it to sort of be one that they lucked into, in all honesty, because Jalen Bradley wasn't heavily recruited because of his academic issues and he was able to get things done academically so he could qualify. If that hadn't happened, I don't know who Nebraska's running back in this class would have been. Yeah, I mean, it uh, definitely would have been interesting to see how that played out. And by interesting, I mean a little scary. Just a little bit. But uh, I think that's pretty much covered all of the, the 2018 recruiting. Do we do we still have some time that we need to hit here? Uh, I mean, we could we could end it now. We could. Uh, how many minutes are we away? We are four minutes away. Do you want to spend four minutes on Nebraska basketball is a lot. <laughs> Well, I mean, here's your here's your Nebraska basketball minute. Uh, once again, a team shoots lights out from the perimeter against Nebraska. 65%? 65%. 64.7, but we'll round up. Um, that shouldn't come as a shocker given that Nebraska has only held a Big Ten foe under 40% from three-point shooting twice this season. Uh Definitely a concern. It, the energy just wasn't there last night. Uh, Jordy had a fine game, probably the game of his career to this point. Um, but it just it, the sense of urgency, it just seemed off all night with Nebraska. Which is disappointing because with the Tyron Lou thing, you'd think there would have been a pretty emotionally charged crowd. Yeah. Uh, and so you'd think that would bleed over to the team. But it really doesn't. Yeah. And it's... Uh, It'll be interesting. You got you got Iowa coming up on the road on Sunday. A big a, game. A 1 p.m. game on Super Bowl Sunday. And when I say big game, people that are listening to this, I mean in terms of getting to like the NIT, not in terms of anything else. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, I don't know, the, the, when we kind of look back on the season, it'll be interesting with Nebraska basketball and just the, the way they were so, I mean, they were, they were a young team coming in. We knew that they were going to struggle with consistency. And that's really what's played out so far this season. I mean, it's been pretty much kind of what people thought would happen, right? They are who you thought they were? Yeah. They are who you thought they'd be? I don't know if I, my yeah. English phrasing of that wasn't great. Yeah, uh, Denny Green, right? Rest in peace, Denny. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it, uh, last night you had Ty Webster kind of nursing an ankle. You had Glenn Watson nursing a groin injury. And it really kind of, I think, was a pretty good indication of what teams need to do to stop Nebraska. I mean, if you, you kind of hurt, you go all out to stop Watson and Webster, and you don't get production off the bench from McVeigh and Horn, I mean, you're pretty much done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as good as McVeigh and, and Michael Jacobson looked against Purdue, as bad as they looked at times shooting against Michigan State yeah. on, on Thursday night. Last thing. Because that, that's too much basketball. We really can't do any more than that. Two minutes is what it was. So Okay, well. You got 90, 90 seconds, so whatever you're doing. What are you going to do with all your free time? Spring football starting <laughs> up. Baseball, yeah, weeks. Baseball's starting up. Basketball's going on. There's probably going to be like 500 offers going you out while you're in Mexico. To do. What are you going to do in Mexico? I may not come back. Yeah? I'm we may have to just do like phone podcast from now on i am really curious to see what shade of red your pasty white skin is going to be upon Kool-Aid return man. from uh from mexico i look like the kool-aid man with a beard if you start turning purple that's when it's time to maybe cut back a little bit you know this from experience i do i uh i, I spent a, a week in mexico and horrified some people around the pool when my skin went from a very horrible red to a very uh deep purple I am uh, I'm mostly excited to see if the all-inclusive stuff is as cracked up as it's supposed to be. I mean, is, is it really going to be this, like, life-altering vacation thing for me? Well, they'll keep you liquored up, at least. That's so. a, lot of, uh, a lot of Modellos, I think, in my future. You will be pickled and... Uh, little, pickled? Yeah, just so much uh, booze. Just oh, pickled. Uh, yeah, I got you. And uh, pickled and burnt, so you got that to look forward to. All right. Well, uh, we will podcast again probably next week when I return from Mexico, and we'll discuss all of the exciting things that Brunt's got to cover in the four days that I was gone, and 
Hell, we can probably talk about my trip, too. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, still uh, catch our work on Nebraska.247sports.com. Uh, still running the uh, buy one month, get two free. So uh, perfect for spring ball coming up. But uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. 